Golf and rock and roll, not logical, but it is fascinating. Playing down that big old fairway, don't want no hackers to get in my way. The boys and me got a big NASA going, we were born to drive. It's the Golf Insiders, giving you the inside scoop on all things golf. Now, here are your Golf Insiders on 740 The Game. I love to play. Hey, bring me another bucket of balls. We love it. I turn on the lights. I love Hello, Orlando. You're listening to the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house. Holly G., Along with my special guest host tonight, the one, the only, Dr. Bob Winters from the David Ledbetter Academy. Always fun to get on the couch with Dr. Bob, so to speak. Doctors in the house, Holly. Right. I, I love it. I love it because um, we got a lot to talk about, of course, the amazing finish to the tour season. Jordan Spieth. 22 years old, and he's the $22 million man, Dr. Bob. I'll tell you what, that's a lot of zeros. Ooh. That's a lot of zeros. That's a lot of putts made during the year. So good for Jordan Spieth and, and everybody else that did well there. That's fantastic. I forgot what the stat was, but I think some, you know, I love these guys, these stat guys, right? I think he rolled in something like 432 feet of putts over the four days at Eastlake. That's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive, but if you think about all year, I think the one-shot link uh, statistic that really comes to bear is that he made more birdies from off the fairway, from the rough, than anyone else did all year. So when you start doing that and start hitting fairways and start making putts, wow, I mean, then you are the FedEx Cup champion. You have $22 million, ching-ching. And like they say, it don't mean a thing if it doesn't go ka-ching. No doubt about that. And I think what was very interesting you know, we always talk about mindset. You talk about mindset in particular. That's your niche. But, you know, I thought it was very telling how Jordan approached the final tour championship. He said this was like a major and that his team, and I always love how he talks about his team, as I'm sure you do too, uh, prepared for East Lake like it was a major and including showing up on Monday and you know, hitting balls and practicing, which, you know, is not a normal thing other than the majors for guys to do. They, you know, tend to take that day off. It's a travel day. It's a laundry day. It's a catch-up day, you know, take a break day. Uh, but, you know, it certainly paid off. And after missing two cuts, the first two tournaments, mm. pretty impressive. Well, it is impressive. But what was most impressive is that he got back to doing the stuff that makes a champion a champion. Because after those first two couple of cuts, and even on the second day of the second you know, FedEx tournament, he said, I just need to make a birdie. I just need to make some birdies. Just need to get some momentum going. And when you start having these scoring expectations and you're putting a lot of weight and you're trying to force birdies, instead of just playing your game, being patient, taking your shots when they come, and playing one shot at a time, which he did all year. So he got away from being Jordan Spieth. He was playing someone trying to make the cut, someone trying to do something versus in just doing something he did all year long, which was play one shot at a time and, and win tournaments. 
Yeah, and and then look at um, uh, Rory McIlroy, by contrast, who in the press conference said, uh, and I, I don't remember at what point during the tournament, that he considered his season a loss because he had not won a major this year, which I thought was very interesting that, you know, he approached the playoffs and how he perceives and, you know, recognizes and elevates his game versus the importance of the majors. Well, I think if you take a look, you know, at the history of golf, who really said it's the majors? It was Jack Nicklaus. He said, it's the majors I prepare for. You know, there's four of them a year, and I, I prep and I, you know, peak for each one of those. And so when you hear Rory McIlroy and the Tiger Woods who follow suit with Jack Nicklaus, it's the majors that they want. It's the majors you will be remembered for. Uh, the only one that really remembers how much money you make will probably be uh, Wikipedia and maybe your banker or your accountant and some of those people. But it's really always the majors. So I think that's how Rory you know, looks at it. And even though it's it's not a loss, I think it's like Gary Player once told me. He said, the main thing is to become a professional golfer. It's about a, a marathon. It's longevity. And you've got to be able to be every week, every month, every year. You've got to be into the the throngs of competition. You've got to love you know any tournament you play, whether you're playing in the Tom Thumb Open or the Peter Pan Invitational or the Masters. You've got to go in and just play the very best you can. And I think that's what made Gary Player, you know, win the Grand Slam. And and I think until Rory McIlroy and some of these other people realize that, they'll always you know say, "Gee, I just didn't do it this year." But you know, we'll see. You know, 2016 is just right around the corner. We're talking to Dr. Bob Winners from the David Ledbetter Academy Mental Coach Extraordinaire. Speaking of that, how do you, as Jordan Spieth, after having you know such an amazing historic year, and he's only been out there three years now, how do you reset if you're Jordan Spieth going into the 2016 season? Well, I'll tell you what, that's the biggest thing. You sit down and say, okay, what goals did we accomplish this year? And then you say, well, 2015, it was a, a great year. Even in his terms, he says, it's been unreal. It's been an unreal year. All right, so you sit there and say, the golf gods have been great to me. It's been an unreal year. But let's get back to reality. We still have to go out in 2016. Now, the one thing I would tell him, let's not go out and try to defend our championships next year. I mean, no one's going to take the 2015 U.S. Open, the 2015 Masters from him. And I think, you know, when you give up the defense, when you say, I'm not going to defend my title, I'm going to go after another title, that's when you start to repeat, that's when you start to three-peat, that's when you start to dominate. So that's really what I would tell him. I say, let's start fresh. 2016, when we start, we're starting fresh. 2015 is behind us. It's a done deal. Hakuta Matata, you know, no worries. And you have no worries with you have, you know, a big bank account like that. And carpe so, diem. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's move forward. Let's have a blast. And let's just see really how, how great, you know, 2016 can be. Hey, listen, you know, he can actually go and, and maybe win three or four majors next year. I mean, you could do the Grand Slam next year. So, I mean, anything's possible. Boy, is that a tagline for the PGA Tour. So, and he really did a lot of possibility thinking, and he also did a lot of, you know, realistic winning as well. Jason Day, do you think given the run he was on the last six weeks since the Canadian Open, think he ran out of gas a little bit, maybe a little bit of the mental focus? Your thoughts? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's mental focus. I think, you know, he really played great. He achieved, you know, so many of his goals, and it was a 
all of these victories were emotional victories. But, you know, winning the PGA Championship and, and listening to him talk about, if I hadn't won this one, I didn't know if I was going to close the deal. So we always talk about finishing strong, closing the deal. But it's one thing to have the lead going into the final round. It's another thing to think you can win. But sometimes that lead and wanting to win, it, it turns into lead, and it holds you back. So what we have to do is just take the bit out of your mouth and let that horse run, and just that's what Jason Day did. He actually played. He played until he was done. He won you know, the tournament, and he did some great stuff. So, I mean, I, I don't really look for him running out of gas, but I'll tell you what, if that's running out of gas, then sign me up, and uh, I'll be ready to go anytime. Five tournament wins for both Jordan and Jason Day. Uh, golf is, you know, they keep saying it, All the ev- everybody on TV and in the media, golf is in such great hands. You look also at the year that Ricky Fowler had and Rory, and wow, it's it's just going to be a, an exciting uh, new season. And it's going to be a, a great season, but also if you take a look at the FedEx Cup, you know, at East Lake, you had Henrik Stinson, you had Justin Rose, you had Danny Lee. Now, you take a look at these guys. These guys are going to be, you know, chomping at the bit to have a great 2016. And I've always said, and then I'm going to sort of, again, you know, reiterate what Jack Nicholas said. You know, on the final hole, the final round, the final tournament, I want to have something positive so I can use that as a springboard for the next tournament for the next season. And that's really what all of these players have. So they have a positive springboard going into this new season. Well, we've got a lot to talk about wrapping up the FedEx Cup playoffs and looking ahead to the President's Cup in Korea next week. We've got a lot of golf talk coming up. Bob Herrick from ESPN coming up next. Stay with us. Quite an impact, actually, uh, when he sank that three iron and hit me in the back of the head. I can't believe I'm into this. I really hate to lose. Asking forgiveness. Got the struggler's blues. We're back. The Golf Insiders taking you home on the Fairways of I-4 in the house, Holly G. Along with my special guest wingman tonight, Dr. Bob Winters from the David Ledbetter Academy. And Dr. Bob's got a new book out, Mistake Free Golf. You can check it out at drbobwinters.com. What's the biggest mistake most amateurs do, Dr. Bob? Uh, There's nine, you know, most common mental mistakes. But the biggest, you know, mistake is that people doubt themselves. They doubt their talent. They doubt they'll be able to play well. And so they sort of get in their way. And, And the second biggest mistake is you see it all the time. A player steps into the shot. They have this great resolve, but when they start to step into the ball, they start to have that doubt. And then while they're over the ball, they know they're not ready to hit, but they go ahead and hit it anyway. And when they hit it anyway, that anyway shot goes anywhere, and then we all get upset. We back away, and we go, that was just stupid. You know, why didn't I just back off? Why didn't I get another club? Why was I thinking, don't go left, don't, you know, hit it short? And these are all mental mistakes. And the golf ball's not going anywhere. So we should have, you know, our heads in the right place long before we step in to aim and address the ball. Well, a guy who had no doubt coming into the Tour Championship and Eastlake, Jordan Spieth, the big winner on Sunday, and a man who was right there watching every single putt fall in the cup, Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. Hey, Bob. 
I need to read that book, Holly. Uh, I, like it's right up my alley. You and me both. I think, you know, the one thing that's amazing is when you watch, you know, these tour guys midway in their backs would be able to stop and back away. That always just drops my jaw. Yeah, no question. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> and all those zeros on that check would drop my jaw as well. You had a great interview right after uh, the presentation with Jordan on ESPN.com, Bob. And, uh, you know, I think he was <laughs> in a little bit of shock, which I don't blame him. Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of the money, definitely. I don't know how you wrap your, your arms around that sum when you're 22. Um you know, uh, and and again, uh, you know, he's he's making money off the course and endorsements and all that sort of thing. But you know, this is kind of like the real deal here. You know, like you're you you play for that, and 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 you you either do it or you don't. And you know, obviously, based on what happened uh, Sunday, could have been a seven million dollar difference if he finished second, uh, or even eight million if he finished third in the FedEx Cup. I mean, that's where those those numbers start to get pretty big and. As much as those guys talk about not thinking about the money or caring about the money, I don't know how you can't. I mean, unless you're just in a totally different stratosphere like Tiger or Phil, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a significant amount to, uh, to you know, it's, I would think they'd get nervous over putts and shots that are for 100000 or 200000 let alone millions. So uh, amazing display by him, you know, all the way around, a great wrap on the year for him to win that tournament. You know, Bob, you know, this is Dr. Bob Winters here, and it's great to have you on the radio with us. You know, one of the things I've always found is that uh, I remember years ago I was giving a nice presentation with Chichi Rodriguez, and I said, you have to be able to stand over a shot, stand over a putt, whether it's for $5, $50, or $500,000, and you've got to be able to put the same stroke on it because, you know, the golf ball doesn't know really what you're actually playing for. And I was sort of making this sort of note, and Chi-Chi, you know, actually got onto the microphone and said, Dr. Bob, I love everything you said, but I can see right now you've never putted for $500,000. And so it sort of kind of took me back a little bit. But, you know, they, they play for so much money, Bob, is that after a while it just, you know, a lot of times it loses its meaning and winning and just coming down the stretch having, you know, that chance to win all the money and win the title. That's, that's most important, don't you think? Absolutely, and I think the sooner you get the thought of the money out of your head, the more success you're going to have. Uh, uh, Jason Day actually talked about that in previous tournaments. He he admitted that when he first came out on tour or when he was first playing for as a pro, he thought about the money. He had never had any money, and he wanted to he wanted to make money. He felt it was important to make money, and and I think there was sort of a a threshold he passed when he recognized, you know. If you keep putting that kind of pressure on yourself, it's never going to happen. You've got to let, you've got to let the money take care of itself by performing. And uh, easier said than done, but still, they're, they're, I think all these guys get to a point where, you know, they they focus on the results and not the and, and not the uh, the results of their shots, as opposed to how it's going to impact uh, their score or even how how it might impact how much money they make, because uh, that gets in the way of performing. Well, this win by Jordan uh, slam-dunked the player of the year conversation. Of course, we had a lot of uh, back and forth about that last week. But I thought it was interesting. We spoke about this uh, before as we were coming on last segment 
Bob, about the, you know, the, the approach Jordan Spieth took to this. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversation with you about the importance of the FedEx Cup and, you know, the points and all the rest of it. But, you know, as he said, everything was to prepare to peak in Atlanta. He said he approached it just like a major championship. And, you know, I thought that was, again, very telling about how he went about his business at Eastlake versus perhaps, you know, some of the other guys and in particular, Rory, who basically summed up, you know, his season is over because he had failed to win a major. Yeah, no, you don't ever hear anybody talk about the tour championship like a major. And I, I wrote about it a little bit today, uh, you know, I, in, a, in, a, in a weird sort of way. And I mean, this is no fault of Jordan's. He was doing exactly what he needed to do to get it done. Uh, it, it, to me, it kind of points out a, a flaw in the system again. Um, you know, at this time of year, these guys are, are dragging. You know, they're going from one tournament to, the, to another in the playoffs. They've come off a, a, a hectic schedule towards the end of the year with the British Open and a World Golf event and the PGA. Then these playoffs start right up, four of them in five weeks. You know, you go from New York to Boston, then to Chicago to Atlanta. And Mondays are spent recuperating. You know, these guys, the last thing they want to do is hold a golf club. And yet that's what, was, that's what Jordan was doing on, on, on last Monday in Atlanta. He, he recognized that he needed to get himself dialed in for that tournament. And it didn't really matter what he had done in the previous tournaments. He had, you know, he missed two cuts and he finished 13th. And yet he was still in position to win the whole thing if he could win the tournament. It was a, it was a great way to go at it. And, and, and al- it almost suggested that, that, you know, his results in those other tournaments he wasn't all that bothered by. I don't think that's the case. But uh, you take it as a whole, um, you know, he missed two cuts and, and, and still won the FedEx Cup. You know, Jason Day won two tournaments and finished 12th and didn't. Uh, so, um, you know, I think that's, that's a little bit of a, of, a, of a flaw in the system that they have there, uh, you know, it, for two reasons. You don't have – if you're in, in his position, you don't have to do anything early to still win the FedEx Cup. And these guys are so tired that, except for really one guy, they weren't grinding in, in what, you know, many might say is the biggest tournament of the year, at least in terms of money. So, you know, uh, maybe they need more rest. Maybe they need a little bit more space after the PGA. Maybe that would spice this thing up a little bit. But I thought it was very interesting that that's how we approached it, and it actually paid off for them. Well, I think, Bob, you're absolutely correct. But I think the one thing that, you know, we need to really take a look at is that Jordan Spieth, he did miss, you know, the cuts in in the first two events. And that gave him a little time off to sort of reflect and kind of get back with his team and say, hey, listen, you know, how do we need to retool and and, and sharpen, you know, the axe here a little bit? Let's go out and let's take it to him because obviously Jason Day had been, you know, making all the headlines and, and so this is going to be a, a real nice, you know, mano a mano, you know, sort of uh, duo here for the next, you know, several years, you know, Spieth and Day. And so he's saying, hey, listen, we can go out and grab this thing and we can actually take it by the throat and we can actually win this thing. And I think that's exactly what they did. They, he had a little bit of downtime to sort of re-energize, to rejuvenate. And I think that's exactly what he did. He said, listen, let's prepare for this. It's like we would a major. We've had a lot of success in the majors. Let's, you know, actually run that battle plan one more time and very successful in doing it. Well, not only that, uh, as you, you know, you, you, you nailed it. Uh, but I think he could have gone into the playoffs and recognized, you know, I don't really have to do all that much. I've got a pretty big lead in the points, 
And the way this is going to trickle down, I'm I'm almost assured of still being in the top five when I get to Atlanta. And if you're in the top five, all you have to do that is win. So why not put all of our effort into that tournament? And, you know, if you really want to take a, a harsh look at this thing, that's probably not what the PGA Tour wants. Um, you know, in, in, in traditional playoffs, he would have been out of them based on what he did at the Barclays and the Deutsche Bank. Now, I'm not suggesting that anybody who misses a cut should, should be eliminated. I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, but it does sort of, you know, go against the grain of the whole idea of playoffs. But on the other hand, the, the other side of playoffs is, is whoever wins at the end wins. It doesn't matter what the record was before. So even though he only won one playoff event and Jason Day won two, you know, it's, it's who wins the last one. It's, it's uh, you know, who wins the Super Bowl. It doesn't, really, it doesn't matter what your record was before you got there. It's, it comes down to one game, and, and whoever wins it is – we recognize as the champion, regardless of their their overall record. Uh, the New England Patriots and New York Jets come to mind from a few years ago when the Patriots lost the Super Bowl. Were eighteen and one. Well, nobody denied the Giants the title because they didn't have as good of a record. So, I just do think it kind of you know not to take away from Jordan at all. It's a great accomplishment, five wins. But I I also think you know the whole thing kind of it just. It just makes makes you take notice of some of the flaws in the system that I wish they would address. Bob, are you heading to Korea? No, no, I am not. I uh, I'm going to be watching it uh, in the middle of the night, I suppose, or, or watching the highlights. Uh, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting. I, I think the U.S. is due to get a challenge one of these times, and maybe this is it. Uh, even though, again, on paper, the U.S. team looks a lot stronger. Well, and I think we maybe know the international team a little bit better just uh, due to, you know, the way golf has become so global, uh, the great coverage that ESPN provides worldwide as, as well as the Golf Channel. So, you know, with Jason Day leading that team and the likes of Adam Scott and, uh, you know, Danny Lee. So I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Quick question before we let you go. Uh, why did Louis Oosthuizen withdraw? He had a hamstring issue. Uh and um, and he also was scheduled to play this week in Scotland at the Dunhill Links, which, by the way, would have been some amazing travel to go from Atlanta to Scotland and then to Korea. Ouch! But uh, he um, he elected to um, to pull out of that as well to make sure that he's okay for the Presidents Cup. You know, he you know, he didn't win any majors this year, but he had a pretty good run in the majors. You throw him in there with uh, Adam Scott, Jason Day, Brendan Grace, who also had a couple of good runs in the majors, Danny Lee, as you mentioned. You know, I think that team isn't that bad. They're, they don't stack up rankings-wise with the Americans, but, uh, you know, they have some very, very good players. And, and changing the format as they did, they've reduced it from 34 matches to 30, which means on each of the first two days and on Saturday, not everybody will play. So that actually, you know, hurts the U.S. because they have more depth. And, uh, it, uh, and, and frankly, it's one of the reasons why the Ryder Cup has been so compelling is because they, they only have 28 matches. Guys have to sit. You can kind of put on the bench the guys who aren't playing as well. And uh, I think that makes things a lot closer. So we'll see if that makes any difference. But uh, I have a feeling that it has a chance to. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, very exciting matches and, of course, to see golf over uh, in Korea as as the host country, uh, given how well we know the Korean golfers 
have become worldwide. As always, Bob, thanks for your time. Check him out, ESPN.com, the one, the only, Bob Herrick. Thanks so much, my friend. Thank you. You're listening to 740 The Game, the Golf Insider. Stay with us. We've got Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel coming up next. Hey, Harry, thanks a lot for all the security you provide for us. Well, that's my job to keep all those nuts away from you. That's just the way it is. Don't play in pebble, won't pay the price. I love my muni, I think it's nice. If we could just make We're back, the Golf Insiders. Taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house, Holly G, along with my very special guest, Dr. Bob Winters from the David Ledbetter Academy, breaking it all down from the mental side for us tonight. And uh, check out his new book, Mistake-Free Golf, uh, at drbobwinters.com. Uh, we're going to go to a guy who, hey, he... He is just Mr. Smooth. He rarely makes a mistake, especially on air. The one, the only, Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel. Hey, Todd. Hey, guys. How are you? Very well. Uh, how, how, how would you feel putting $22 million in the bank this year, my friend? I don't know anybody on the planet that would not feel great about that. Was that, uh, was that what you negotiated for, uh, for, for your new contract? Uh, except for that $22 million part. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know, Doctor Bob. I, I I don't know how you how you uh, put your mind around that. But what what were your thoughts on Sunday watching how he just uh, was sinking those putts, Todd? And um, you know, Henrik just kind of rolling his eyes, going, "What what do I do?" Especially on number eleven when he drained that thirty forty footer. Well, you have to understand that golf and Doctor Bob will echo this. Golf is a game, in my opinion, that is the pursuit of perfection that's never attainable. Um, and Jordan, last week and a lot of times this year, this season, has said that he hasn't had his perfect game, but he's been able to correct his mistakes with something that I haven't seen in a, in a long, long time, and that is a wonderful short game and some of the most clutch putting you, you, you're ever going to see. And if you hit the tee as he did uh, this week and many other times this season, knowing that if I'm slightly off, if I miss a fairway, if I miss a green, that I'm not going to make bogey. Uh, And if I get on the green and give myself a a reasonable shot at birdie, the odds are pretty good that I'm going to make a lot of them. And he's the best on the tour with that. And at the age of 22 now, and remember he won a majority of his, his events this year, uh, at least his two major championships at the age of 21, for him to do what he does and have that perspective and lean on the game, uh, that he is, which is his strength in that short game of putting, is very smart. It's very remarkable. And I think that he has a different swagger when he hits the tee compared to just about every other player on the PGA Tour. And talks to himself all through the round so that he actually – what I love about that, and it's so fun, just as you were saying, Todd, he lets us in, too. I mean, you, yeah. can, you can see his strategy when he was talking it over, you know, um, with, with his caddy and saying, hey, you know, we, we want to put it here because I can, you know, I can, we can make that putt. He never talks in the eye. We can make that putt. And it's fascinating right. to watch 
him strategize around the course. You know, that's that's exactly a good part. You know, and Todd, it's great, you know, to have you on the radio with us. And one of the things about Jordan Spieth with his self-talk, I haven't really seen anybody, you know, be that animated to themselves, their caddy as a team, uh, since Lee Trevino and uh, Herman Mitchell. Because, you know, Lee would always talk about, hey, you know, we can hit this shot. Or, you know, nobody could hit that shot like us. And, and I think that's really what Jordan does. So everything for him is sort of a ego-enhancing behavior. Everything he does is building himself up. And, and sometimes he actually, you know, sort of chastises himself a little bit. But it was always to kind of kick him in, his, in the pants and kind of, you know, move him up into another gear, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think it is therapeutic when, he's, when he is vocal as he is. Um, yeah, I think it also enhances his confidence, as you're talking about as well. Um, you're right. When he stands over a shot, and he, you know, he wants to hit a cut, um, you know, to a back right pin with water on the right. I, I feel like that he says, "Hey, yeah, we got this, we got it." But I think even as remarkable as that is, um, is that when he does hit what he considers a bad shot, is that he he gets it out, um, and not really in an angry way. It's just about comical. I mean, you hear him, you're the dang nabbit, you know what? And, you know, he kind of like, he kicks himself in the pants a bit, but he doesn't hold on to it. He doesn't carry it from, let's say, the green to the tee. He moves on and looks at the next challenge in front of him. And, that, and I think that's why he is mature beyond his years. I think he's got a 35-year-old head on a 22-year-old body. Yeah, no no doubt about that. And, and the way he does sink these clutch putts, you know, through a lot of the, the season, people saying, well, you know, not so, there's not so much remarkable about his game. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, consistent. But, I mean, you know, to me, the way he sinks those putts is very Tiger-esque, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no doubt. He's the best, he's the most clutch putter I've seen since Tiger in 2000, 2001. Um, and, again, that's a super strength of his. Now, now, the interesting thing, and we saw a little bit of that in the playoffs, is when that putter leaves him. Um, which you, know, you talk to any tour player, and you know there's a point in their career. I don't care how he's been crunched off. I'm sure there was a time in his career, and I don't know what years it was, but he's lost, you know, a little bit of confidence as putter. How he reacts to that, I think we saw some of that in the first two playoff events, and you know he had to refine that focus, that that short game again. Um, and to feel a little bit more comfortable, not that he was completely uncomfortable over the golf ball, but I think he had to, he had to focus. I really do think, to be honest, there's a couple of things. It's a, it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise for him missing those cuts in the first two playoff events. A, he got a chance for him to, to stand back over the weekends on those two events, the Barclays and the Deutsche Bank Championship, and reevaluate. Secondly, got him given an opportunity to work on his issues. Thirdly, I think this is a big thing. He played a lot of golf, and those who were continuing to play on the weekend in those first two events, you know, golf is a mental grind. Dr. Bob, you know this more than anyone. And for him to kind of, like, hit the reset button a little bit because he got a week off prior to coming back to the playoffs was a big, big benefit for him, and he was able to gather everything and focus on Atlanta. No no doubt about it, Todd. Uh, you know, it's been we've been saying it the last, you know, month at least, you know, that Game is in such good shape when you look at uh, perhaps uh, a huge rivalry developing here between uh, Jordan, Jason Day, Rory, Ricky Fowler just itching to get into that mix. I mean, you've covered golf a long time. It, it, not only are these guys, you know, 
uh, classy and, you know, just carrying the mantle of the game in, in such a special way right now. You're exactly right. And, you know, we've talked about it. And now, to be honest with you, what I'd like to see, uh, because I was in Greensboro and I saw it, I was blown away at the popularity and, and the, the viewers that were watching that weekend at the Wyndham Championship. If Tiger Woods can get his body back, if Tiger Woods can get his game back, to something close to where it was in his prominence. If we can have him back at the age of 40 competing with this new guard of Rory, Jason Day, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, and, you know, who we, we don't know who else could emerge. I mean, Brooks Koepka can have an incredible year next year. Daniel Berger, tell me, who knows? If that, if that can happen, can you just imagine how much more – higher the game of golf would be elevated. So, you know, that's something that I'm very interested to see. It'll be a while. Tiger says he's not coming back until the beginning of sometime in 2016. But if that can happen, I think golf will be, uh, it would be incredible. It would be really, really sharp. Do you have an update, Todd, on, you know, exactly what this, you know, what was the deal on the surgery? And, um, you know, is the hope now that, you know, he'll really be able to, to build back from this place. Well, I mean, if you go back and look at the first microdiscectomy surgery that he had, if you just follow that pattern, he, he decided to take – he had the surgery in March. I'm going on memory here, but I believe it was in March. And he came back for the Open Championship. So that's April, May, June, July. So it's four months. So now he's had this surgery um, earlier September. Um, so, you know, now he's thinking about coming back. In December, if I had to target an event that I think he's going to come back to play, I would I would probably say the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines because that will give him about five, six months, some, somewhere around there to rehab a little bit longer to get his body and his game ready than he did after that first surgery. Um, but that that's probably what's going to happen. You know, there's still a lot of rehab to go on. You know, and Tiger's body doesn't heal like it used to at the age of – what will be 40 in December. So that's probably my guess. He'll come back at Torrey Pines. Speaking of injuries, I know you're headed to Korea for the President's Cup. Any update on Jim Furyk? I know he's hitting balls, um, and he's evaluating that bone bruise in his left wrist. He hit him on a future this week where he calls home. Um, and he's in discussions with Jay Haas. I mean, he's going to have to make a decision over the next day or so as to whether or not he can go. Um, so no update as of now, but, uh, he and Jay and, and Jim's doctors are, are analyzing the situation and I, knowing Jim, the way I know Jim, I, he really wants to be there. He loves wearing the red, white, and blue. Um, he's a top 10 player in the world. I mean, people don't talk about that career, but that, I mean, guys, well into his forties, he's just, you know, so consistent. Absolutely. But at the same time, I, I think he loves his country. He loves these team events to, to understand that. If it, he doesn't want to be a burden to the team as well. So, it, you know, it's going to be interesting over the next day or so to, to hear what Jay Haas has to say. Uh, any um, inside scoops on the golf course uh, that you can share? I don't, sadly. Uh, I do know, it, you know it's an American-style golf course. It's a Jack Nicklaus golf course. And from, from the people that I've talked to, um, it, you know, it's kind of the big kind of golf course that you're used to seeing from Jack Nicklaus. Um, but uh, I actually, I take it back. I did talk to Nick Price last week, and uh, they've had a Champions Tour event on, on that course last week. And I, he just spoke in generality, saying it's a great golf course, um, and, and it'll be a great match play venue. But that, that's about all I know. I'm interested to go over there and see a couple of things. See the golf course, 
more importantly, see how South Korea embraces this. This is the first time this has ever happened that you know, South Korea is hosting such a prestigious event exactly. uh, on the PGA Tour type of world stage. And you've got the number one player in the world there, along with some others, you know, battling out in match play. So I'm interested to see how the South Korean culture will handle it. I know they're very, you know, obviously KJ Choi, Y.E. Yang, a lot of great female players come out of South Korea. But, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting for me to observe this and, and give back to our viewers with it. Well, we'll uh, be tuned in and looking forward to the wall-to-wall coverage that we know the Golf Channel will be providing. So, as always, travel safe and uh, have a great week over there, Todd. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great night. Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel. Stay with the Golf Insiders. We've got one more segment coming up. Well, I don't want to take all the credit for their talent, but uh, first I had to teach them to play golf. Then I had to teach them to sing, and then I taught them to play various instruments, none of which they do very well. I want my dream. Yeah, yeah, really not so We're back. The Golf Insiders wrapping up an hour of intelligent golf talk in the house. Holly G, along with my very special guest, Dr. Bob Winters, mental conditioning coach, who, check out his website. He's got more people winning all over in the world of golf today, including Chris Tamales, who won her first LPGA tournament a few weeks ago. And if you want to check out Dr. Bob's best-selling new book, Mistake-Free Golf, you can go to Amazon.com or to DrBobWinters.com and it's always great to have you on the show, Dr. Bob. And I want to get your thoughts because um, uh, I'm also our, our next guest was there at the Solheim Cup. I'm curious. I know you also play, uh, have played competitive golf at the highest level yourself and have worked with lots of players who have played match play. And right. uh, today, in fact, uh, from 6 to 7 tonight on the Golf Channel, Suzanne Pedersen giving her first interview with Tim Roosevelt. And I uh, just want to get your thoughts on, you know, what went down there at the Solheim Cup and, you know, uh, the conversation that has kind of swirled around what was, you know, perhaps uh, gamesmanship, um, poor sportsmanship, uh, you know, just really how you felt um, in terms of what happened at the Solheim Cup. Well, it's like I said earlier, it's a contentious issue and kind of a prickly situation. But you have to ask yourself, was this competition or was it an exhibition? Obviously, the Solheim Cup, you know, was modeled after the Ryder Cup. It was also, you know, pitting the best U.S., you know, lady players against Europe's best women golfers. And it started in 1990 right here at Lake Nona uh, with the United States, I mean, just blowing out the Europeans, something like 11 and a half to four and a half. And, you know, I, I think about all the times where we, you know, we always want to have an, an even playing field, but everyone's looking for an edge. And I'm not you know, saying that people use gamesmanship, but we know many times through the Ryder Cups and other Solheim Cups, there's been a lot of controversy. It was always, you know, Seve and Tom Kite kind of going at it. Uh, Tom Kite, you know, saying that Seve was coughing in the middle of his putting stroke. Uh, we always talk about, you know, Dottie Pepper punching the Annika Sorenstam Bobo doll in the locker room. So anytime you have controversy, it always, you know, brings good press. It brings a lot of attention to the sport. But as with Suzanne, and I've known Suzanne for many years now, and, and I consider her a, a wonderful golfer and a, even a, a more wonderful person, um, 
you know, it's she is a really hardened, tough, grizzled veteran competitor, and she wants to win, just like everyone wants to win. Julie Inkster wanted to win. Karin Koch, you know, the coach of uh, the Europeans, she wanted to win. So in this situation, you know, who was, who was at fault here? I look at it from a very, you know, black and white perspective. And you don't really want to assume anything. And I always love the Bad News Bears coach at the beginning where he writes assume on the chalkboard. He says, don't assume anything because I don't want to make an ass out of you or me. And it was Allison Lee. You know, she made the first mistake. Now, let's talk about mistake because I know something about mistakes. And my book is called Mistake Free Golf. It's an action or it's a judgment that's misguided or wrong. And the action that Allison Lee took when she actually picked it up, assuming that someone gave it to her, she did not hear it directly, you know, from the referee or from, you know, Suzanne or Charlie Hole. Uh, didn't hear it from any one of the captains. She just assumed. So she made the first mistake. And, you know, she, she picked it up so quickly. I don't know if Brittany Lincecombe said don't pick it up. But I just look back at the replay and I see Charlie Hole's caddy sort of putting his hands up in the air going, hey, what happened here? Now, you know, even the referee who gave a, a lengthy a dissertation on it after it was all said and done said he didn't see anything where they could actually, you know, go back and would have, you know, sort of the decision to put it down and replay it. And in that situation, and I've taught so many people who've won U.S. amateur, Australian amateur, British amateurs, match play, you give, you know, you concede putts early, and then when the match gets tight at the end, you make them make that one, two, three-footer. And I think that's exactly what they were doing. And then it all got blown out, you know, of proportion and saying that, you know, they were using gamesmanship, poor sports. But, you know, hey, you still have to put the ball in the hole. So the onus of responsibility, you know, they always talk about Suzanne Pedersen. Uh, the onus of responsibility has to go back to Allison Lee. She was the one that actually made the mistake of picking it up. Now, that's by the rules. Now, you could talk about good sportsmanship and, you know, okay, no harm, no foul, let her go back and play, but this is still a competition. So, you know, in, in my estimation, you know, it is it's pretty black and white. I mean, it, Suzanne said it, uh, if I had to do it all over again the next day, I would actually, you know, would still do the same thing. But a couple of days later, she makes the apology. So I, I just don't like, you know, all of the rhetoric and all the talk that's been going on since then. Well, a guy who was there who's on the line who we want to uh, get some uh, thoughts the week after as well as uh, his thoughts on the tour championship because he's just been the, the, the global, global traveler. Steve Eubanks from Global Golf Post. Hey, Steve. How are you, Holly? Doing well, doing well. We've got Dr. Bob here, and uh, it was just uh, you know remarking that Suzanne Pedersen here in Orlando um, on the Golf Channel tonight and uh, still a, a lot of conversation going on about the Solheim and I know uh, you were right there when it all happened. You know, I was. And, uh, you know, fortunately, Holly, I have to thank this one to the Ole Miss Alabama game because I got up at 4 in the morning over there to watch that online. And uh, I was thinking to myself, well, what could happen in three holes? But I'm up anyway. I might as well go out and watch. So, uh, you know, I, I just happened to be there early that Sunday morning to see it all take place. And, um, you know, it, it, I, I hate to disagree with Dr. Bob, but the crowd reaction there was – was such that I was standing there. I thought it was good. I mean, I thought it, given given Charlotte Hull's reaction walking off the green, uh, given the crowd reaction when they started to applaud, I think everybody uh, other than Suzanne thought that putt was good. So, you know, yes, she didn't hear it, but uh, that, well, 
she said she heard it from the crowd, but she certainly didn't hear it from a competitor. But, uh, you know, in that situation, there was enough confusion going on that if I'd been the referee, I'd have let her put it back down and play it. Yeah, I, I kind of that's where I kind of come down on this, that I that I thought the uh, rules official probably could have, you know, uh, sort of brought some calm to the situation. I think, you know, also we forget, um, you know, this is what makes match play, whether it's the Ryder Cup, the Solheim Cup, the President's Cup, what it is. I mean, we're talking about high intense emotion. You know what that's all about, Dr. Bob, in the moment. And, um, you know, and, and this uh, very different level of competition than in, you know, metal play. So your, your thoughts on that, Steve? Yeah, you know, look, I mean, it, there's no question that Suzanne is an intense competitor and that it was, it was as charged, it was as electrically charged as any event that you could ever go to. I mean, it, it is, I mean, with apologies to the President's Cup, it is the second most important match play, international match play competition in the world, uh, and, and certainly the most electrifying. So um, I, I think given all the emotions that were involved, given all, uh, given all the, the crowd noise and everything else that was involved, if I had been the referee there, there was just enough confusion that I would have said, you know, put that down and replay it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. We've just got about a minute left. We've run a little long tonight, Steve. But um, just real quick, how do you think uh, the President's Cup is going to shape up since uh, you are all about global golf? Who's who's going to be uh, winning winning this tournament, the U.S. team or the international team? I, th- this one is a very easy call, Holly. This The U.S. wins in a trot. Woo! In a trot! Okay. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Dr. Bob? You have a different opinion. Well, Steve, I think, you know, the international team's going to come back out, and I think they've got a lot of great match play players. I think it's going to be a good International Cup. I think it's going to be a great President's Cup. I'm looking forward to watching it. Steve, what can we uh, count on? A daily review by Global Golf Post during the competition? You can certainly uh, count on daily updates, and you can uh, check us out on Mondays, and uh, you'll get the full, complete coverage. All right, globalgolfpost.com. Check it out. Steve Eubanks, Dr. Bob, drbobwinners.com. Check him out, his new bestseller, The Golf Insiders. We're out of here. Bye-bye.